You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. For more information about location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. scriptures, and, and I'm, when I say favorite scripture, everybody says, Margaret, you say that all the time. They're all your favorites, but this is really one of my favorites, and my little grandchildren love to sing about the two foundations, the wise man that built his house on the rock, and then the foolish man that swoosh, his house went away, and I want to sing to y'all about that tonight, but let me read to you from uh, Matthew, the seventh chapter, starting in verse 24. It said, whoever hears my words, well, what are the words? The Bible, y'all. It's the Bible. Whoever hears them and then does them is like the the wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the rains came, and the tough times do come, y'all, even if you're a Christian, the tough times are going to come. And the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house. It did not fall because it was built on the rock. But everyone that hears my words, hears these words, and does not do them shall be like the foolish man that built his house on the sand. Now, if I ask any of y'all, are you going out here on Padre Island just stick a house up on the sand? You'd probably look at me like, what? Are you crazy? But when the rains descended on this house and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon the house, it fell. And you know what I love about the scriptures is God shows you new things all the time. And one of the new things he showed me is something I shared with you this morning. When your home falls, when your house falls, it doesn't just fall. It falls with a great crash. And y'all, like I said this morning, when your children fall into sin or when any family members fall into sin, it affects the whole family. So I want to ask you today, what are you going to do? Are you going to be like the wise man? Are you going to be like the foolish man? And the name of this song is I Go to the Rock. Builders rejected. I run to the mountain, and the mountain stands by me. When the earth all around us is a sinking sand, on Christ the solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I just go to the rock. Where do I hide? Till the storms have all passed over Where do I run to? 
When the winds of sorrow threaten, is there a refuge? In a time of tribulation, when my soul needs consolation, I go to the rock. I go to the rock of my salvation. I go to the stone that the builder rejected. I run to the mountain and the mountain stands by me. When the earth all around me is a sinking sand, on Christ the solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I just go to the rock. Now you can clap. I go to the rock of my salvation. I go to the stone that the builder rejected. I run to the mountain and the mountain stands by me. When the earth all around us is a sinking sand, on Christ that solid rock I stand. When I needed shelter, God gave me a shelter, oh yeah. Do you need a shelter? He'll provide a shelter, yes he will. The earth all around us is a sinking sand. On Christ that solid rock I stand. When I need a shelter, when I need a friend, I just go to the rock. If she could just get the cooking down. <laughs> I came in one day and we were putting up crown molding in the house and I walked in the house and she had the chop saw on the table she had on her tool belt and she was up there measuring putting crown molding up and I walked in and I said honey you're my kind of woman <laughs> oh it's a wonderful thing when God takes over during this session some of you are going to say boy I wish so and so was here to hear this tonight or I wish so-and-so would have been here. I don't know why they didn't come back. Instead of having that thought, here's what I want you to say. I serve a sovereign God, and he has me here tonight to hear this message. I heard an amazing statistic as I worked on this first time, the first time I ever did it. And that, me that message was that as many as 90% as many as 90% of the people in the world hold some sort of bitterness or anger against a person. 90%. Throughout the scriptures, it says that those strongholds of Satan in our life, like bitterness and anger and wrath, those strongholds of Satan prevent the flow of God's grace from flowing through us and making us ineffective in ministry because we're holding on to those strongholds. And if that statistic is true, then we have to ask ourselves, do I have a stronghold in my life? Do I have a place where I'm harboring bitterness or anger against someone that's preventing me from walking in the fullness of God's grace? We need to ask ourselves that question. 
As we look at the lesson tonight, I want to start off with a definition. This definition is one that I love so much. The true, true Christian believes the unbelievable, bears the unbearable, forgives the unforgivable, loves the unlovable, is perfectly happy not to be perfect, is willing to give up his or her will, becomes weak to be strong, and finds love by giving it away. Now I want to ask you a question. What's this saying to us? Someone just tell this is a seminar. Now seminars is where you interact with the guy speaking, where he doesn't just stand up there and talk the whole time. So I'm asking you a question, and I will not answer until someone answers. What is this saying? Become a fool for Christ. That's pretty well it. What else is it saying? What's it telling us? What's it, what, if, if a person who had no idea what a walk with the Lord was about, and he, he came in here and sat down and he read this, what would be his thought? That is impossible. Okay, we, give, we have to give up control. We have to give up our rights. Here's what I want you to see in this. The Christian life is actually almost exactly the opposite of the way the world lives their lives. Those things that you see up there that we do as Christians, the world doesn't do that. It, it's almost exactly the opposite. And what I'm going to talk about tonight in this issue of forgiveness, it's almost exactly the opposite of what the world would understand is what I'm going to teach tonight. And yet it's straight out of the scriptures, and we have to just become comfortable with the fact that God's ways are different. And if we're going to be effective walking with him, we have to do it his way. The Christian life is certainly different than the world's life. Today I want us to come to an understanding about the difference between bitterness and forgiveness. And how... Even though they're different, they interrelate to each other. There's a wonderful story that I found in the illustrations manual, and it's during World War II. The submarine Tang was on a mission, and it was it surfaced in the in the middle of the night, and was going, and it had eight torpedoes left. It had fired all its torpedoes, and it only had eight left. And there was this huge Japanese convoy, and the Tang surfaced in the night to fire its torpedoes to, against that convoy. And they had eight left, and that's all they had, and then they would return home, and there was hundreds of ships in this convoy. And they began to fire, and they fired the first, the second, the third, the fourth. They fired seven torpedoes, all direct hits, all causing massive, massive damage. But then they fired the eighth one. And when they fired the eighth one, it went out about 300 yards and made a circle back and started coming right straight back to them. And, of course, the command to dive, dive, dive came, but it was too late, and that torpedo came back and destroyed that submarine, the Tang, USS Tang. In much the same way, we destroy ourselves by hostility that we hold toward others. The effects of holding a grudge are very serious, and if you look at modern medicine, modern medicine will tell you that many medical problems can be directly tied right back to anger, suppressed anger, bitterness, and wrath. Headaches, backaches, ulcers, high blood pressure, heart attacks, to name just a few. When we do not love our enemies, but rather strike back at them, we are usurping the prerogative that God has to mete out justice. 
We, we think we have to take care of that. We have to be angry. We have to get even. And when we do that, we go against, absolutely against what God says to us when he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. By seeking revenge, what we have to come to understand tonight and what I hope I can convey to you is when we're holding that bitterness and that anger within us against that person that hurt us so much, the main person we're destroying is ourselves. To understand the effect of what I'm talking about, I want you to try this little experiment. Take your hand and make a fist and make it, just close it up. Now, get it as tight as you can hold it. Just get it as hard as you can hold it. And I'm going to ask you just to hold it that tight for just a moment. Keep squeezing as hard as you can squeeze. Keep going. Okay, let it go. That was 30 seconds. What was happening in your hand? Was it hurting? Was it getting worse? Now take that thought and put it into a week, a month, a year, tens of years. That grip that, that you had in your hand is exactly the grip that's in your soul when that bitterness and resentment and hurt and anger is directed towards someone. As Christians, we need to live our lives God's way. You're, you're gathered here tonight to find out what does God have to say about forgiveness. And, and your commitment is, okay, I'm here to learn so that I can make a difference in my life as a Christian. And we have to understand that when we get into this position of, of looking at what God is teaching us and then trying to put it into our lives, there are many things that happen that keep us from doing that. But the one thing that we can't let happen is our refusal to say yes to God. He's, he's very emphatic about those who serve him and make him Lord that they say yes. You cannot say no and Lord in the same sentence. It does not work. If he's your Lord, the only answer is yes, Lord. You can't say no. And, and that's something that many of us don't quite get. But I want to talk about God's forgiveness. I want, I want us to start off this discovery tonight with a most important understanding. You have to understand that God put at the center of the universe, in other words, his entire relationship to mankind is built upon his forgiveness of our sins. He knew we would fail. He knew that we could not live up to the standard. So in order to give to us all that he could give to us, he put at the center of the universe the most important thing that we know of about God 
is the fact that he put his son on the cross to die on our behalf. And he said to us, forgiveness is yours because he paid the penalty. Jesus Christ on the cross paid the penalty. So many people don't quite understand what the cross is about. You see, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden and they were told, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't go there. Well, of course, you know the story. They went there and they ate of the tree. Direct disobedience to God. And because of that disobedience and the sin in their life, he said, because of your sin, you will surely die. And the Hebrew word that's used there has two connotations. It's physical death, but the connotation that's used in the context that it's in is eternal separation from God because right after he makes this statement, he casts them out of the garden and puts them outside and posts guards at the gate. And for what purpose? To keep them from coming back to the tree of life. There's two trees in the center of the garden. One is the tree of knowledge and good and evil. The other is the tree of life. They partook of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil. They decided we want to make our own decisions. We want to do our own thing. And so they wanted to know what was right and wrong. And when God came into the garden, they're hiding. And he says, where are you? And we're hiding. Why are you hiding? Because we're naked. And he says, who told you you were naked? Of course, he knew. They had partaken of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. It was now up to them to make it work. He cast them out of his presence. They're separated from him. They're forever separated. The generations following them are forever separated from him. And that separation penalty is in place and, and in concrete, and we don't have access to God. But then he comes back with plan B, and he says, I will send my son to die in your place and pay the separation penalty. You see, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the blood, sweat, and tears that were flowing and the pleadings from his heart were not about the pending death. Folks, he wasn't afraid to die. What he was agonizing over is that he knew that he was going to be separated from God on that cross. He did not want that. That was the plan. His separation, or his separation on the cross could become our separation once he experienced it. And he was said, Lord, is there any other way? And, of course, there was no other way. And when he died on the cross and our separation could be taken care of when we accepted him into our life and we came to that in Christ position and we made him Lord. And I talked this morning about the difference between lordship and carnality. And, and that, that battle goes on all the time as we're struggling but in this position, all of the power is ours. Everything is ours. And in this position is where he's Lord. Well, if he's Lord, then what that's saying is whatever he says we do, that's lordship. And it ties back to the fact as Lord, when he took care of the penalty, he put us back in relationship to him. And the whole work of mankind to God and that whole process is predicated on one thing, forgiveness. He knew we would fail, and he offered to us forgiveness. God takes very seriously forgiveness.
And why shouldn't he? It's at the center of the universe as far as he's concerned because forgiveness was what his son's death was all about. But at the same time, can we get hold of the fact that the ultimate, ultimate act of love is forgiveness? As he forgives us, he loves us. The ultimate act of love, forgiveness. I want us to look at one of the best-known scriptures in the entire Bible. If you'll turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. <clears throat> now, the context of this passage is, is given actually in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. And what we see the context of the Lord's Prayer is the disciples have come to him and say, and say to him, Father, teach us to pray. You pray with such power. How can we pray with that kind of power? And so he gives to them these guidelines. And it says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. We know that. Your, your pastor has probably preached several sermons on the Lord's Prayer. But here's what I want you to get hold of. He's saying to his disciples, here's the way to be powerful in prayer. Here's what's needed to be effective and he outlines for them, here's the things that you need to do. And, and he gives us this outline. And as we go through and we teach this outline, it's amazing how it just comes alive with things that God wants us to do. But then he goes on to verse 14. And the word for at the beginning of verse 14 ties it right back to what's been going on before and here's what it says here's the instruction for how to be effective in prayer and then he goes and ties right back to what he just taught on how to be effective and he says for if you forgive men their trespasses your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive men their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses Testing, one, two, three. Always good to have the man <laughs> around. <clears throat> there you go. Praise the Lord. 
Margaret, you want to come sing again? <laughs> My screen's blank. God, you're so good. <clears throat> Obviously, I was going somewhere he didn't want me to go. <clears throat> Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Just stop and think about that. If you're going to be effective in prayer, here's what you have to do. But there's one more thing. You have to be a person who forgives. The context of this passage very clearly is explaining how to have an effective Christian life in prayer. And then he says, but one thing you have to understand is there's one more part. And that is that you must forgive. Is he Lord? I mean, folks, you can read that any way you want to. You can try to put that any way to make it fit. But the only way it fits is it's telling you, if you want to be forgiven by him, you have to forgive. Is he Lord? If he's Lord, we don't have a choice because there it is. If we want to be effective in our ministries, if we want to be effective in our walk with him, we have to be forgivers. Uh, hostilities among Christians, families, and friends break down many relationships. Many people would never admit that they harbor ill feelings toward anyone. But yet within their life is a deep-seated anger toward another person. That hidden hurt has led to unforgiveness and a reservoir of bitterness and wrath and anger is in their hearts. And many times, folks, what's so sad is many times they don't even recognize that it's still there. And yet it's influencing the way they look at life. It's influencing the way they interact with people. And that bitterness that's deep, deep within them is causing them to walk in a way that is not pleasing to the Lord. I have some points I want to show you about forgiveness. When living in a state of unforgiveness, you remain bound to the incident that caused you the pain, so the pain continues. When you are living in a state of unforgiveness, every time you think about what happened to you in that horrible time when that horrible thing took place in your life, every time you think about it, the pain returns again just as intense as it was before. In a state of unforgiveness, that's what happens. The second thing that we must understand, in unforgiveness, the one who hurts you can still inflict pain on you every time you think about it. And that infliction of pain is something that drives you to even more anger and being upset with that person. The third thing, our motive for forgiveness is because we have been forgiven and set free. Folks, when you think about God put at the center of the universe 
forgiveness because he knew we were going to fail. He knew that we were going to fail. So he put as the most important thing to him was forgiveness. And then he says to us, if you want to be forgiven, then you have to forgive. And our motive for forgiveness is because he's forgiven us. And the last one is when we genuinely forgive, the pain begins to recede. And folks, please, it is a process. It is not something that happens instantaneously. It has in some cases, but that's rare. But the process of forgiveness is what we have to look at and what I want to show you tonight. When we look at why do we, why do we have to do this? Why is this so important? You remember this morning, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And what did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then up, he goes on to say on these two commandments, saying all the law and all the prophets. Everything that God is about, everything that has been prophesied, everything that has been taught, all the commandments that have been given are summed up in these two things. Love God and love others. And that love initiative is something that he expects from us. He expects us to love other people and to love him with all our heart, mind, and soul. And the problem is, when we are in a state of unforgiveness, the flow of love is stopped. It cannot flow. Because love and unforgiveness cannot coexist. When feelings of resentment, bitterness toward a person, no matter how deserving they are, dwell within a person, Love is prevented from growing and go coming forth. These attitudes of anger and resentment totally prevent the flow of love in your life toward that person and even toward others. Margaret, tell the story of Pat. Oh, many years ago, Les had a, a man who was his mentor in the ministry. This man was in the same town we were, but he was pastor of another church. And uh, he and his wife, we began to see them socially, and she and I were becoming friends, and she was a wonderful, godly Christian lady. And we had had them over one night, and I thought we had had a great time. And uh, the next day, I got a call from a mutual friend that I had said something the night before that had really hurt Pat's feelings. And she told me what I said, and I remembered saying it, but I had no mal I intended no malice. I was just really dumbfounded that she was hurt by this. But I told my friend, I said, I will, when I get home from work today and I know she's home, I will call her and apologize. And then I got off the phone and then Satan got hold of me big time and I got mad. And I thought, how dare she get mad at something I said. She knows I'm not the kind of person that just goes around saying hurtful things to people. She shouldn't be hurt by this. And y'all, I refused to humble myself and make the call. All I had to say was, I'm so sorry, would you please forgive me? And it would have been over. And I want you to know that I held that for years. And one day, about seven years later, she said to me, Margaret, we need to get our relationship right. And I pretended I didn't know what she was talking about. You see, I had swept it under the rug, hoping it would go away. But you know, when you sweep those things under the rug, it gets real lumpy, and you're tripping over it all the time. Don't, don't be a rug sweeper. 
But during that time, I became what I call a crippled Christian, unable to receive all the wonderful things that God probably had for me because I was holding on to bitterness toward this lady because I had hurt her. I was the one that was wrong. And y'all, I want you to know, 20 years went by. And about three years ago, her husband asked Les and me to come to a marriage retreat for their church. And I told this story with no names. And when that session was over, I went up to her and I said, did you recognize that story? And she will no. And I said, that was you. Would you please forgive me? I am so sorry I hurt you. 20 years late, y'all. But this was, I was the loser. You see, a relationship that she and I had that was growing when this happened and I refused to humble myself and apologize, it stopped in its tracks, not growing any longer. And I denied myself a relationship with a wonderful, wonderful godly lady because I refused to do what I knew God wanted me to do. You know, y'all, pride is a terrible thing. And it was pride that kept me from humbling myself all those years. I praise God he finally brought me to my knees in that area of my life. But lest I'm justified in my feelings. You don't know what I've been through. Let me ask you, is it any worse than being on the cross of Calvary? And yet on the cross of Calvary, what was said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You see, Jesus brought us the example. He gave to us, here it is. Here's what I want you to have. I want you to have this. I want to give it to you. And I'll show you with my own life what I want to teach you. John 10.10 is a verse we're all familiar with. And it says, the thief comes not to except to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. When we start listening to him in the lordship relationship, folks, that's when our life becomes more abundant. And what he's pleading with us about in this passage where he says, look, if you expect me to forgive you, then you have to forgive others because I hold forgiveness in a high regard. Jesus is offering us a better way to live. His way enhances our quality of life. It doesn't make our life worse. What is his way? Father, forgive them. God never asks us to do anything that he does not provide. First of all, the instructions in his word, how to do it, but also the strength to accomplishment by the spirit that he has given to us in order to do it he gives us the power he tells us how we're to do it he tells us why we should do it well what is it we are to do what is the definition what is the definition of forgiveness to send away dismiss or to set free is what the lexicon calls forgiveness it's that you put it aside it also says to express the acquittal of a defendant treating a guilty person as if they were innocent. You've heard the word justification all your life. When God justifies us, what he does is he looks upon a guilty person who has received his son and invited his son into his life and come to the in Christ position. 
He looks upon us, the guilty party, and what does he say? You are forgiven, you are cleansed. And only, the only thing he sees is the blood of Jesus Christ on us. Treating a guilty person as if they're innocent. What is he asking us to do in forgiveness? To treat a guilty person as if they're innocent. And why is it that we can't do that? And Margaret hit upon it. It's about pride, folks. It's about pride. It's about wanting justice, wanting to, to put a penalty upon them. And yet God has some words for us in that too. Those magical words that we hear when we go to him and say, Father, forgive me. And he says, yes, you're forgiven. You're wiped clean. You're in the blood of Jesus. You are justified. What joy we experience when we come to understand we are forgiven. We are not guilty. We do not have to hold the guilt for our wrongness because he has forgiven us. He canceled the debt that we owed for that sin penalty that we committed or that, those sins that we commit. Not only did he cancel the debt, he sent his son to pay the debt. Without God's continual forgiveness and cleansing of our sin, we cannot have the power to live in the lordship position. That's how serious this teaching is. How do I forgive? What is necessary? Let me give you some steps. Step one, you have to choose to forgive. You have to make a choice. You see, our, our psyche is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. But the area involved in the, the forgiveness, the starting of forgiveness, is in our will. When we decide, I am going to do that. And that's something that we do ourselves. You know, the amazing thing about God and his giving to us free will is that he doesn't force us to do it. He tells us it's important for you to do it. It's so important that your forgiveness of sins depends upon this. But what does he say to us? What does he say to us? He says, you have to decide to do it. It's an act of our will. What is our motivation for it? It comes from Hebrews 12, 15. And this is a passage I love to preach on this. This is one of my favorite passages. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without, holy one, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. God warns very clearly in this passage that those who cling to the misery of an unforgiving spirit will be crippled in living their life. Make every effort in peace because if you're living in without the holiness, you're not going to experience the fullness of the life. But then he goes on to say, not only will you be hurt, but those around you will be hurt because that bitter root affects the way that you relate to other people. 
The word bitterness from the Greek literally means cutting, pricking, puncturing. Everything about it has to do with torture. And bitterness is what we have when we're in a state of unforgiveness. Charles Swindoll says, unforgiveness is like locking yourself in the concentration camp of your own making. Corey Tim Boom, who, when you read her story and what she went through and all the agony she went through, and then one day was confronted with one of the guards that caused all of this in a Nazi concentration camp, and he came to her and he said, it is so important that you verbalize to me the fact that I have now become a Christian and God has forgiven me and I know he's forgiven me but would you forgive me for the horrible things I did she was confronted with that and here's what she says unforgiveness is like sitting in a very dark room in the daytime with the heavy draperies closing out all the sunlight and all the fresh air and what did she do when the man held out his hand she took his hand and said absolutely you are forgiven Forgiveness is not done when you feel good. Forgiveness has nothing to do with feeling. Understand, forgiveness has nothing to do with feeling. It is, in fact, a totally an act of your will. It has nothing to do with the emotions. It has everything to do with will. By your will, you choose to forgive. Many people refuse to forgive because they think that they will be saying what that person did to them, it's okay, don't worry about it. Folks, it's not okay what they did to you. It is not okay. What they did was wrong. What they did was sin. What they did was hurt you immensely. But what we have to come to get hold of is when you forgive, what you're doing is you're freeing yourself and that person that hurt you, you're freeing yourself from the, the terrible agony and the pain that you experience every time you think about that. We choose to remember no more the sin committed against us. It doesn't change the historical fact, but what it does when we do forgive them, when we do by an act of our will choose to forgive them, that historical fact is still there, but it's no longer an emotional fact. The healing process begins with the act of forgiveness. John 8, 32, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The second thing that we need to do as we look at the steps to forgiveness is to acknowledge our own sinfulness. Forgiveness is all about the cross of Calvary. Everything is tied right back to the cross when it talks about forgiveness. God did not just declare us not guilty. He sent his son to die. I said that a moment ago. We must forgive others completely. We too are called for a price of sacrifice. And what is it that we're called to sacrifice? We're called to sacrifice our foolish pride. Because most of the time when we won't forgive a person, pride is at the forefront. Not always, but most of the time. The wrong that was done to you will always be wrong. But you should choose to remember it no more because you have also done wrong to others. You're guilty of hurting other people, just as the one who hurt you is guilty of hurting you. The interesting thing with God, though, is there's no degree of sin. Sin is sin is sin is sin. 
And so what you hold is this horrible sin against this person that they did to you, you've actually done sins to someone else and you're just as guilty as they are. And in God's eyes, sin is sin. Even though what happened to you was terrible, the event is no different than the sins that you've committed in your own life. When we can acknowledge that we ourselves are also sinners, then we are ready for step three. But we have to realize and we have to acknowledge that we're a sinner just like the person that sinned against us. And then comes step three. We begin the process of forgiveness. And I said this a moment ago and I want to go back and say it again. It is a process. Forgiveness is a process. It starts with the decision to forgive. It then goes to this process of understanding we're sinners just like the person that hurt us. But then you go into the process. I've been convicted over the last few months about our need to forgive by an act of our will. But as we do that, then God comes in and completes the forgiveness by his power. See, that's the process. We choose to do it. We make the decision to do it. We recognize we're just as bad as that person. And then we say, okay, I'm going to forgive. And we begin to forgive. And as we begin to forgive, God comes in and completes the process of forgiveness through his grace as he empowers us to do the things that are necessary to heal us from the hurt that we have experienced. This action of declaring a guilty person not guilty can only be done through the power of God. Folks, you cannot do it. And, and that's what I want you to walk out of here with tonight. Forgiveness is something that you cannot do apart from the Lordship relationship and yielding your life to Him and Him empowering you to do it. It's just impossible for us to do what's necessary to forgive the hurt and especially where we've been abused or we've been terribly, terribly uh, afflicted. The key verse for us when trying to get hold of forgiveness is that wonderful verse in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I want to tell you a story. It will kind of tie this together. When I first became a Christian, this mentor that Margaret talked about, we were on the bus riding back from Dallas one night. and We were sitting up in the front. And I told him there was a guy in our church I just could not stand. And, and, and I mean, I hadn't been a Christian long. And, and, it, and everything this guy stood for, I was opposed to. Our theologies were exactly the opposite. And, and my pastor looked at me and said, Les, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I said, well, you know I'm a Christian. You baptized me. You were there when I made my profession of faith in, in front of the church. 35 years old, making a profession of faith. I said, you know I'm a Christian. And he said, well, if you're a Christian, then let Christ love him through you. You said you can't love him. You don't even like him. But let Christ love him through you. And I looked at him and I said, yeah, okay, right. <laughs> I had no clue what he was talking about. 
how do you let Christ love someone through you? That was on Tuesday night. We were coming back from the evangelism conference on Tuesday night. On Sunday morning, I go to the church and I open the door to church. And in our church, there's two hallways on each side of the auditorium. And once you get in the hallway, there's no way to get out of it. I step in the hallway, open the door, step in the hallway, and guess who's coming right at me? I say, and I actually said it audibly, but I didn't, he couldn't hear it, but I said, Lord, you're going to have to love him. I cannot do it. And I'm walking, and I get up to him, and I say, well, Joe, how are you doing today? And he said, well, Les, I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking. And I walked about two more steps, and I turned around, and I watched him walk off. And this warm wash just washed over me. Folks, two weeks later, I went to him and asked forgiveness for all the bitterness I'd held against him. Did his theology change? No. Did my theology change? No. What happened? I experienced God loving someone through me, and I suddenly realized what the Christian life was about. Instead of, Lord, help me forgive my father for what he did to me, we should pray, Lord, today, from my heart, I choose to forgive my father. I give up all my rights to revenge against the things that he did for me. Lord, I take back the territory of my life that I had given to Satan in this particular area. I take it back, and I give it to you. I want you to have it. This is the intermingling of our will. I have chosen to forgive, and I give it to him, and I say, Lord, it's yours. It's now your responsibility. This is one of the most liberating things that we can experience as a Christian is when we begin to understand that he wants to carry that weight. He doesn't want us burdened down with it. We shed those chains of unforgiveness and we find the freedom that he promised. The key verse to understanding how that works comes from Romans 12, 1 and 2. In fact, as I'm preaching on this in Gonzales next weekend. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Renewing our mind is a process. It challenges us here. Don't be conformed to the world. Begin to renew your mind. Put something new into your mind. I want to give you a, I like to use the word silly example. My wife doesn't like that word, so I'll just go ahead and tell you I'm not going to say silly example, but here's an example. <laughs> Whoop! Oh my goodness. Now then, I want you to look up at that, and that's pretty close to a pink elephant. You see that pink elephant? Everybody, everybody agree that's a pink elephant? Now, I want to ask you to look at that elephant just a moment and spend a lot of time thinking about what's on that elephant, okay? Everybody kind of got it in your mind, what, what's in that pink elephant? Okay, 
Now I want you to quit thinking about that. Don't, don't look at that. Don't think about it anymore. Everybody get it out of your mind? Just mark it out of your mind. You can't do it because it's still there. But here, let me show you this one. Now, Margaret, tell us about this one. We're technical, technology deficient. We, we suffer from it. Check, check. <laughs> One of these days we'll get it down. I need to take a course in microphones, I think. Okay, what am I doing? Oh, yes, okay. Uh, some of you may recognize this. This is Mendenhall Glacier in Juneau, Alaska. And several years ago, we took the Inside Passage cruise, and we had decided that we would splurge and take the helicopter ride out on top of this glacier. And uh, we were able to get off the, the uh, ship first, and we got to the dock, and we were so excited. And a man met us at the dock, and he said, I am so sorry, but the fog has come in, and we can't fly the helicopters right now. So come back this afternoon at 2 o'clock. We feel sure the fog will have cleared by then. So all day long, I am waiting to go on this helicopter ride, which I have never been on one, unless that's one of his favorite modes of travel, is helicopters, as he was in the Air Force. And uh, so I'm watching the fog all day, come and go, come and go. And I see the helicopters going. I'm like, oh, good, this is good, this is good, we're going to get to go. And we go back at 2 o'clock, and they had just closed it again. We weren't going to get to go. And I'm thinking, you know, we have waited all day to see this glacier, and we, we're not even going to get there, and we're probably never going to pass this way again. So we paid a taxi driver to drive us out there. And the guy nearly scared us half to death as he drove about 90 miles an hour to get us out there because we didn't have long before the ship was going to leave. And we got out there, and it was so wonderful, and it was actually on the 4th of July. And, y'all, when you're trying to pack for an Alaska cruise down here in the middle of July, it's really kind of hard to think you're going to be freezing up there. But I want to tell you, it was cold that day. And, but we got to go out and look at this glacier. We didn't get to go out on it, but we could hear the ice as it was falling off. And, and it was just really, really a beautiful uh, experience. Now, how many of y'all are still thinking about the pink elephant? Okay, well, there's, there's tough people in every crowd. You're not supposed to be thinking about it. See, what, what we're talking about is, is what we have to do. We go back to this passage, and I'll go back there. What we have to understand is where it says renewing your mind, you have to take the ugliness that's in your mind and put something new in it in order for the ugliness to go away. Like we had to do the pink elephant and get rid of the pink elephant. As we present our struggles to God by an act of our will and we acknowledge him as Lord. See, when, when we present this and we say, here it is, Lord, and we're doing this by an act of our will, but we're also doing it by an act of faith. And the amazing thing about God in the New Testament is God says it's by faith that he works. Look at, look at the word faith. Take and, and follow the trail of the word faith sometime. In most of the places where faith is involved, God's action is involved. 
Because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. Because of the faith of your friends, you shall be made whole. Because of your faith, your child shall walk again. Because of your faith, because of your faith. We have to understand that when we come to this position of giving it to him and we are demonstrating our faith, I believe that you will take it. I believe that. As we present our struggles to him, then he can begin to transform us. How does that transformation process take place? Folks, I want to say to you, without a doubt, this church has the best prayer ministry that I've ever experienced and been around. It's so wonderful to come to a church who understands where the power is. And when it comes to us giving God something, the way that we get that return work in his life is as we begin to pray through that process and begin to turn in faith to him and asking him to make the changes in us. The first thing you should do is begin to pray that God will give you such a supernatural work in your life and in the life of that person that hurts you so much that you could be healed from the hurt. You begin to pray that. Lord, I pray for a supernatural work in my life. But I also pray for a supernatural work in the life of that person. I pray that you will just work in their life. You're not praying that they're going to discover how much they hurt you. You're just praying for a God to work in their life. The second thing that you should probably pray about is go one step further and begin to pray that God would bless their life. You know, an amazing thing, when you begin to pray for your enemies, this wonderful thing begins to happen. And isn't that what God told us to do, is pray for our enemies and pray his blessing upon that person? Oh, that's so contrary to what, what the world would do. That's so contrary to what we feel like doing. Folks, it goes back to the first slide I put up there. The Christian life is totally different than the worldly life. The third thing you should begin to pray about is that God would set up a time. Now listen to me. You listen here. That God would set up a time when you might talk to that other person. And under the lordship relationship, though, when, we're, when he's the Lord and we're praying for him to set up a time, folks, we absolutely have to wait until he puts it together. Don't try to make it happen. If it ever happens, then God knew that, if it never happens, then God knew that the other person wasn't ready. So what you're doing in the Lordship relationship and you're praying through this processing of getting through the forgiveness, you're praying for God to give you an opportunity to share with that person the hurt, like what, what Pat did with Margaret. Here's the thing. In this position, it's God's timetable, it's God's way, it's God's place, and it's God's circumstances, and you wait until that happens. But you're praying for it, and you're praying that he's going to do it. Tell your story, Mark. Well, we had, um, and this is so important, y'all, and and I want to give you two stories. We had a lady that came to us that said, when I was a child, 
I was accused by an aunt and uncle of stealing some money from them. And she said, I didn't do it. But she said, it has caused such a breach in our relationship. In fact, she said, we have no relationship. And she said, I carried this for about 20 years. And this literally had crippled her as far as having relationships. It's just unbelievable what this one incident had done in her life. And she said, when I became a Christian, I knew I had to forgive them. And she said, I'm, I went to them. And I told them that I forgive them. I, I forgive you for accusing me of that. And they said, we don't know what you're talking about. Now, either it was such an insignificant thing to them, and that could have been because many times things that are huge for us, the perpetrator didn't think anything about it, and, and they just went right on their way. And that could have been, or they may have just denied the whole thing, but she shared with us, I'm worse now than I ever was because they refused to acknowledge it. But we had another man, and he came to us after we had, we had shared this uh, forgiveness, and he said, I feel so strongly that I have got to go to my ex-wife and ask her for forgiveness. We have two children together, and we have caused each other so much pain, and I just feel I've got to get that right unless said, start praying that there would be a time when God has her right and you right that he will put it together. Don't make it happen. Well, the next night he came back and he said, you are not going to believe this. And, you know, our God is one of those, you're not going to believe this, God. When I say it's a God thing, that means only God could do it. I love to say it's a God thing. And he did a God thing because the man said, I took my little boy to the dentist. And he said, I was waiting in the waiting room. And I heard someone come in the waiting room. And I looked up and it was my ex-wife. And he said, I figured God had put this together. And he said, we had 45 minutes in the waiting room alone. Nobody came in. And he said, we had, I had a chance to tell her, I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? And she asked him for his forgiveness. He said, we had the best talk we have had since we were divorced. And he said, you know, we need to get along because we've got these two children together. That's the God we serve, y'all. He puts it together. One of the worst things you can do when someone comes and asks you, for forgiveness is to say, well, if I hurt you, I'm sorry. Well, they've just told you you did. It's no if involved. You just, you did. And Les and I, he doesn't know I'm going to tell this, but Les and I had a situation about two years ago that we had a church just approach us out of the blue and wanted him to be the pastor. And y'all, we had just built a brand new home and it's like we were just dumbfounded but we knew this is what God wanted. I mean, it was like, okay, I'll, I'll leave my new home, no big deal. And we, were, we had met with them. I mean, we knew this was right. We couldn't even explain it. And we had some things come up, and Les questioned them about some things going on in their church, and evidently it made them mad because we got an email from them that said, we don't want anything more to do with you. We are cutting off all communication with you. Now, y'all, I want email. to tell you an email. Didn't have the nerve to call us. I want to tell you the hurt that we experienced was awful. And it took us a while to get over it. But knowing that we needed to get through it, we could not let this burden us down. But one day in Walmart, in the Walmart in Hondo, one of the ladies on that committee, in fact, the only lady on the committee, Les ran into her and had a chance to say to her, you know, I just want to tell you how hurt Margaret and I were by this, it, it, especially that we didn't get a chance to, to talk to you and get anything resolved. And her response is, well, if we hurt you, I am so sorry. And do you know, 
that we keep running into her. And I think it's her punishment, to tell you the truth. But, you know, it's like... Now, Margaret, come on. No, I, I, I didn't say that. I didn't. This, is, this is the woman I, I live with. I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm, what I'm saying is, bless her heart. I mean, it's like in San Antonio. We just turned up in the same places. And now when she sees us, it's like, oh, my gosh, there's those people again. <laughs> So, y'all, when somebody comes to you, don't defend yourself. Just say, I am so sorry, because they want to get the relationship right, especially if someone here in the church and y'all get crosswise. You know, we do that in churches from time to time. But if somebody comes to you and says, I just want to get this right, I'm so sorry. That means they care so much for you. They care enough for you that they want the relationship to be right. What am I supposed to say? <laughs> the fourth thing. I'm just going to pass over it. The fourth thing that we must do is we must begin to pray to God to give us the ability to be kind. My wonderful congregation, this is the absolute test of your faith. If you believe that God can give you that feeling and you pray that prayer, then you're going to experience that feeling. If you don't believe that he can give it to you, you will never experience it. But what your job is in the process of forgiveness is to pray the prayer that God will give you the ability to be kind to that person that hurts you so many ways. There are three things, three keys for putting away the negative feelings against a person, and I want to share these with you real quickly. In order to put that feeling out of your life, you have to make a commitment to three things. You will never use the past against him or her again. You commit in your mind, you're never going to do this. This is part of the process of forgiveness. You will never talk about it again to them or to anyone else. And the third thing, you will never dwell on it in your thoughts. If it comes up in your thought, and let me tell you, Satan will do everything he can to bring it to your, your remembrance. But when it comes up, you remind Satan and you remind yourself that this has been forgiven just as God forgave you. This step of choosing to remember no more and then acting like it. But there is an important thing here that needs to be mentioned, and I want Margaret to mention now the issue of forgiving yourself. Well, y'all, many times when we do this seminar, people say, you know, I can forgive other people, but I can't forgive myself. And folks, the same principles apply that we have talked to tonight about forgiving others to forgiving yourself. Because if you don't forgive yourself, then you are saying to the Lord Jesus Christ, what you did for me on Calvary was not enough. Your blood can't cover what I did and the mistakes I've made. And y'all, left to ourselves, we will make the wrong choices every time. That's why it's so important for him to be Lord, so important for him 
for you to be seeking him and what he wants for you because you know what? There's no better place to be than this right in the middle and the center of his will. Forgive yourself. Free yourself from the bondage of all the mistakes that you've made and move forward with the Lord Jesus Christ. Our adversary, Satan, does not want us to forgive. In fact, unforgiveness is one of his most powerful tools for crippling the army of God. Satan is aware that of what the Word of God says. He's very familiar with that passage about forgiveness. And he will do everything he can to keep you from forgiving because if you're not going to forgive, your sins won't be forgiven. And if your sins are not forgiven, you're not going to make an impact on the kingdom of God. We must release our anger over to the Lord. God is just. He can handle our offender much better than we can. Listen to what his word says. This is, this is so amazing. Whoop, I don't even have it. Well, so much for that. What does his word say? Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. That's from Romans 12, 19. From Hebrews 10, 30, he repeats it, and he says in Hebrews, for we know him who said, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. Clearly, God takes very seriously this issue of revenge. And he says, give it to me. Let me deal with it. And as we give it to him, and as we go through the process of forgiving, and as we pray for him to empower us to do this, we find the freedom that we so desperately need. And as you find the freedom you will be released from the bondage of that emotional event because God wants it that way. The truth shall set you free. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. There are two types of people here tonight. Those who have done wrong to others and they know that they have hurt others. And those that have been hurt and wronged by someone else. We all fit in those categories. Lord, I pray right now that you by your spirit, and Lord, we know that this place has been covered up with prayer, and we know that your legions of angels are here and I would ask you that your legions of angels would go in right now and touch the lives of each person that has a stronghold of bitterness and anger in their life and they're living in a state of unforgiveness. Lord, whatever it might be, however far back it goes, I would ask that you would just bring to their remembrance that event right now.
I pray that Satan's influence on each life that has been prevented from forgiveness, Lord, I pray that he would be cast out of their life completely, that his influence would be cast out right now in this time of meeting together in your name. By your power and through your legions of angels, I would ask that this cleansing would take place right now. And Lord, as Satan is driven away from this person's life, I would ask that they would open up their lives to your spirit. And I would like, Lord, for you to remind each person that forgiveness is not forgetting. It's not pretending that something never happened. It's not canceling the consequences of the pain we experience, but rather forgiveness is an act of our will where we choose to release those who hurt us from future punishment from us, and we give their actions to you for judgment. Lord, I pray that today we will choose not to allow past hurts to control us any longer. Many of us have denied our unforgiveness and our bitterness, but today, Father, today I pray and I ask that every one of us would become honest before you as you are so prevalent here tonight that we would become honest with you in this area of our life and they would, we would come and offer it back to you and give it to you. Lord, now bring to each of our minds the people, the names, the events, and let us respond to your leadership in this time of invitation. We are here tonight to experience your work, Lord. You have said very clearly in your scriptures, the center of all that we are in you is in forgiveness. Lord, help us tonight to become forgivers. In this time of invitation, Lord, do a mighty work. In Jesus' name, amen. During the time of invitation, as the music plays, if there is music, if not, Margaret will sing. I think we have some music, good. What I would like for us to do is I would like for you to take the opportunity to come to the altar. I talked about it this morning. Why is it so important to come to the altar? Because as you come, you're saying to God, I'm willing to step out. I'm willing to confess the area of my life that I'm struggling in. You're also an encouragement for others who may be struggling. But what I want you to do tonight, folks, is to look at your life. And if there is an area of unforgiveness in that life, get it right tonight. Don't walk out of this place saying no to God the answer is yes yes Lord yes Lord come and deal with it find the joy find the peace he offers it freely come and experience it in this time of invitation you know the beautiful thing about our revivals is numbers mean nothing change lives mean everything and we're asking you to come change your life tonight.
renew that relationship, respond to him, you come as the music plays.